Welcome back to the Martial Arts Media Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. And oh yeah, he's raising the roof right now. He's raising the roof. 1990s good, reference. Oh, 1990s reference. I like it. I like it. You're or, in a good mood early today. Early 2000s. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd say that's definitely a 90s. Yeah. Yeah, definitely feels like a 90s reference. So you must be having a good day. Uh, it's been a busy day and I've gotten work done. So yeah, I feel like I'm, feel like I'm getting ahead of the curve, the deadline curve. Hey, that's good. That's good. That's uh, always a good sign. Yeah. It's been a normal Saturday for me. Uh, woke up, did some cleaning, did my first workout, then went straight to hot yoga, just ate a nice big, uh, post double workout, uh, lunch. And, uh, now here we are. Nice. Hawaiian food. No, just a, a protein shake. And in fact, I'm actually out of, uh, we're doing a Costco run tomorrow. So I had like one frozen banana left. So I had to kind of improvise, which meant the shake itself wasn't really big enough. So I ended up eating a lot of snacky type food with it, mm-hmm. which isn't good. But, you know, well, uh, tomorrow I'll go stock up on more fruits and uh, well, you could, the... Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you could always do the 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 Brian Bosworth Stone Cold Shake, which is the best shake ever. Yeah, maybe go get some uh, leftover Chinese food. I got to go in there and be like, hey, do you have any like three-day-old Chinese food that I, I can throw into a shake and then feed yeah. my pet iguana? Or it's, is it an iguana, right? Or is it a lizard? I or think what? so. It, it's yeah. something. Some, it's some something. sort of reptile. Yeah, yeah. Anywho, uh, what's new with you? Uh, not not much. Just been staying busy. Yeah, so <laughs> same here. It's like... Work, work, work these days, but uh, loving it. Yeah, I'm super busy myself. It's just uh, every day it's, you know, I still somehow manage to squeeze in my two workouts a day and then I go to my two different jobs and then, yeah. So it's just kind of like wake up, train, work, eat, sleep, repeat. Yeah. That's a nice, that's a nice repeat cycle you've got going. It's nice though, because pretty much on the weekends, I mean, obviously I don't have to go into work anywhere. This is the time where I, I do, you know, I try to get all my lectures ready for next week and, uh, do a lot of my research. So, you know, I'm spending like a couple hours doing that, uh, each day, but, uh, I can do it all from home and I can stop and do whatever I want. So it's nice. Yeah. But, uh, you know, catch up on some rest last weekend. I went to go hang out with some of my friends from back home. Mm hmm some of the best buddies uh from back in the day and it's funny just being there for like a day like 24 hours sent me so behind just because i you know i didn't have a chance to catch up or do anything and then it's like i got back and all i did was meal prep for the week and so forth because i'm getting really back into trying to get back into meal prep and not trying i am so as most people know i have a very strict diet and i've maintained the strict diet i've just been making my meals every day more so and then uh I'm trying to get back into the meal prep where I'm making bigger, but more satisfying meals so that I'm not snacking as much. Because I'm a snack king, as you know. Oh, Ga- Gavin's a snack king. Here. I'm a snack king. That's why I love every time I go over there. He's got plenty of snacks. When uh, you came over for Christmas, I uh, loaded the pantry with snacks, which actually lasted a couple extra weeks after that. So snacks are my weakness. So I try to avoid them. Well, it's funny. I, uh, we're cleaning around the apartment and I was questioned about all the granola and I'm like, the granola stays. That's for AJ and I. Yeah. That's every time. Doesn't matter how late I get there. I'm like, Ooh, I think I'm going to have some granola. And the best part is I know there's always multiple options. There's kind of like usually maybe a never cheap granola at Gavin's house, but like maybe, okay, this is the not as expensive brand, but I know he's always going to have the fancy, like all natural brand. So I don't feel as guilty for chowing down on it at like midnight. If we've just come from straight from like a movie screening at the Mm -hmm. new Beverly. So yeah, love granola. Granola is one of my weaknesses, which is why I just don't buy it. It's smart move. Yeah. Smart you know, move. I, I love it when somebody else has it at their house and then I can go there and, you know, pick out on, at one sitting. But if I have it in my own house, man, I will just every night I'll find some sort of excuse. Well, that that's like the guacamole. Oh, it, God. It, you th- put out guacamole in front of me. I will stop until you literally remove it from the table. Hummus is pretty similar, too, especially if it's a good, good, good hummus. Oh, and you've got good pita chips or good pita bread to go with it. Oh, it's dangerous. And a liquid death on the side. Oh, man, you're, whoo, you're speaking my language. <laughs> this is Clearly, now the- I think we're a little hungry. Yeah, this is now the Snack Mania podcast. We could do a whole podcast about snacks. We really could. Yeah, 
Now we it, uh, and it would be one of our longer episodes. Yeah, and then uh, we could just eat our snacks on the air. To the last forty minutes, just us chewing granola, which is weird because people are into that. Viewership would go up. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Anyways, yeah, we're uh, pivoting very last second today for this episode. We are recording. Uh, it's actually, you know, still kind of in line with this month being Black History Month and so forth. Uh, the episode we were originally going to drop this Monday will now be pushed back to the next Monday. So we technically recorded that one a couple weeks back and it actually falls in line with the Chinese New Year. So that's perfect. But we had planned to record a couple of different episodes for Black History Month like we did last year. Uh, just for, you know, paying tribute to some of our uh, favorite martial arts and action movie stars uh, who are African-American or perhaps Canadian. Uh, so I guess North American, African, black, black Canadian, you know, doesn't matter. We've got uh, heroes all over the map when it comes to martial arts cinema. But we definitely had a tragic passing yesterday, which uh, caused us to very last second watch and uh, critique a completely different film, which we will get to here shortly. Uh, but anywho, what's new with you, good sir? Uh, well, I'll say that uh, I'm watching a lot of movie trailers and I'm looking forward to what's coming up. Uh, seems like 2024 is a year of, I would say, fun action. Oh, yeah. And, and interesting action. Yes. Agreed. So, so I made it as an official announcement at the beginning of my class yesterday at Fresno City College. I always do a little announcements like we have a film appreciation club. So every time that's going to be uh, going on, I you know announce it to my class. I'll announce any exciting movie news I've heard. And so, for example, yesterday uh, I put it up there with a slide, an official announcement for the trailer for Monkey Man being dropped. Dev Patel's. Yes. Uh, film which he is directing writing and starring in and is now being produced by jordan peele uh he initially wasn't a producer on it but i think caught an early screening of it was like no this deserves to be in theaters not just netflix and so he attached his name on there but yeah that movie looks crazy i don't know what to make of it and i'm super excited and by that i mean it look I, it's going to be incredible but which route it goes i don't know exactly it's kind of all over the place in the best kind of way it's a gritty dark crime revenge thriller martial arts film and i'm really excited just because deb patel is obviously an extremely talented individual cinematically but he's also a legitimate real life martial artist he was a uh, taekwondo competitor in his teens he's a mm -hmm. legitimate taekwondo black belt uh he has that real authentic martial arts background which is always awesome on top of being a phenomenal performer and uh now it appears filmmaker so that one should be awesome it comes out a, a couple weeks before my birthday in april so uh Definitely, I'm hoping to try to get maybe my class to go watch it. Just do like a big oh, that'd group be viewing. Fun. It's always got a little more difficult though, because like, how do you buy the tickets? I guess everybody's just on their own, and if you end up sitting with each other, cool. But uh, yeah, it just looks it looks like a fun time. Yeah, and uh, of course, uh, I think since the last time we recorded, there's the Roadhouse trailer. Right, I can't remember if that had come out yet, but that movie looks awesome. And as you know, Gavin and I are both huge fans of the original. Uh, I I am. I'm not one uh, against remakes. I'm just more so like if you're going to remake something, make it worth watching. Don't remake it just to remake it and then make it lame. It appears they are paying homage enough to the original with enough enough winks and references, but also making it just a modern badass update. I don't know. I think it looks amazing. I think the fight scenes look awesome. A lot of people that are on the same, uh, uh, who have the same viewpoint as we do, they're Kind of, I've seen multiple sources say, oh, a Jackie Chan type feel because it does look like the stunts yes. and fights and not in a comical Jackie way, more just in like an old school, hard hitting Hong Kong way. So maybe De their initial references, they just know Jackie Chan. But for us, it could be like any sort. It could be more like a Frankie Chan type thing, right? I don't know. It definitely, it, I would I would actually say it has a very distinct Frankie Chan feel to it. And I love the way it's shot. Yes. Stanley Tong feel to it. Yes. It's just, uh, it's, it's. It's the it's the namesake of a 1980s martial arts classic with the feel of of other martial art classics along the way. It could it could be a wonderful love letter to the genre that we all love. Yes. And surprisingly enough, Conor McGregor looks freaking insanely awesome in it. And by he looks fantastic. And, and, 
emphasis on insane. Like he, it looks like it was the role he was born to play. Like he is just a kooky madman henchman, uh, which is perfect. That's exactly what that character is supposed to be. So I'm actually really looking forward to seeing him. And from what I've seen in the clips of the fights, it looks like he does a great job transitioning his real life, incredible martial arts skill set onto the silver screen. Yes. And uh, Well Go Asia has announced that I think in late February, they're going to release uh, 1% Warrior, aka 1%er. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it, of course, uh, just like Roadhouse. I would love to see if at least one of these films or both of these films get some screen time in LA. Ooh, I don't L- know if that'll happen. Uh, one More Shot has not received any screen time, so it's all streaming. Um you know, the movie we discussed uh, earlier, uh, earlier this year, the Scott mm-hmm. Atkins film. So I always love it when when these action films get like one screening, even if it's at 1.40 p.m. at the Lemille in Santa Monica. I'll go to them. I'll yep. grab popcorn. One ticket De- sold, guaranteed. Definitely popcorn. Always yes. popcorn. All right, my man. Uh, that's some great martial arts movie news. I'm glad we uh, had that. Uh, do you have a movie quote for me today? You need to mellow out. Uh, let me rephrase. Mellow out. You need to mellow out. Forget that you need to. Okay. Just mellow out. Huh. <laughs> this is too easy. Too it's e- obvious. Too easy? It's too easy. It's too obvious. That's the problem. This one's too obvious. Huh. Mellow Mellow. out. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, it's like I can see it. Yes, you can. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, what movie are we talking about today? Action Jackson. That's where it's from. You took a quote from the movie we're watching today? And just because it's, uh, you know. Wait, but when does he say mellow out? When, when, oh, oh, uh, he's saying it to himself. No, he's saying it to the kid. When the kid spills the coffee on his desk and he looks up and he- No, like, he's saying it to himself because he's telling himself to mellow out so that he doesn't like go crazy. Well, I, I thought, so this is up. This is why Action to, Jackson to, is such a good film. Yeah, it's up for interpretation. Up for interpretation. See, I always thought he was talking to himself. Like, obviously, the kid spills the coffee, all of his stuff breaks the, the glass. And I thought he was telling himself, mellow out. Mellow out. Like, like, don't flip out, right? Like, don't go crazy because right. he's Action Jackson and his temper has gotten him in trouble before. Well, anywho, today <laughs> we are discussing the 1988 action classic, Action Jackson, starring the one and only, may he rest in peace, Carl Weathers, co-starring Craig T. Nelson as one of the most underrated villains in action movie history, also starring the great Vanity, uh, Sharon Stone in one of her very first roles, as well as a bunch of other familiar faces from the 80s and 90s. And familiar faces. Yes, very familiar. It's peppered throughout. Yes. And directed by stunt coordinator turned director Craig R. Baxley and released by Lorimar Film Entertainment and Silver Pictures, which I think might have been a subsidiary of Warner Brothers. I'm not sure because I always it was. Thought, yeah. And I think I think that's one of the reasons allegedly we don't get a sequel is because Lorimar was bought out and contract rights got confusing. Oh, interesting. That makes sense because it's definitely set up for you, you'd feel like, oh, there's going to be a world to this. And the movie did. At that time, what was pretty good for based off its budget and box office return. So, you know, it it made back almost 10 times its budget, uh, which is and you know, it was a seven million dollar budget made 65 million dollars, which in today's money, 65 million is nothing. But back then, you know, a seven million dollar budget film maybe had an extra seven put in for publicity. And then you're still looking at uh, a profit of like over 50 million, which back then was, you know, big, big money, especially, you know, on the thing that doesn't account to that is also VHS rentals, which was huge back then. So that it was a relatively big hit just, and it's a bummer. We never got a sequel because it's really kind of, it's almost like they're setting up for this world of action Jackson. Absolutely. It's and what a world it is. So layered again, a lot of it's layered because it, it's it's living, breathing Detroit. The sound, the music. Of oh, course, yeah. it's also shot in downtown LA a little bit. Oh yeah, for sure. Spots. 
for sure. But, but the uh, character actors throughout it just it it's it it was a universe that we only got a glimpse into. Yeah. And before we go too far into it, we should mention, obviously, it was just announced yesterday morning a little, but just about 24 hours ago, a little more than that, 26 hours ago, maybe, uh, that unfortunately Carl Weathers passed away. And it's funny, I had literally just finished my lecture at Fresno City College, uh, a great class on uh, mise-en-scene and props as an extension of character. We screened Rear Window. The students loved it. They were really engaged. They they understood the concept of everything. And I was feeling real good. I'm like, yeah. And I immediately get a text from our good friend of the podcast, Tiger, uh, sending me a picture of, you know, RIP Carl Weathers less than maybe a minute after that, my younger brother texts me mm -hmm. knowing that I'm a huge Carl Weathers fan with a picture of Carl Weathers RIP. And then about 30 minutes after that, in true my older brother fashion, he sends me <laughs> uh, when I was like, Hey, you're a little late, but yeah, thanks. Also because he knew that, you know, I'm a big Carl's Carl Weathers fan and obviously the Rocky franchise is huge for me, but yeah, just very sad. And it's interesting, the, the outpouring of love and support he's seen on social media, even more so than some of the bigger name stars that we've seen pass away. That it's a amazing. Lot of, a lot of people have gone out of their way, especially big celebrities have gone out of their way to write and record video tributes to him. Adam Sandler did obviously from, uh, their collaboration on happy Gilmore, which is a fantastic, uh, classic comedy, uh, Stallone, you know, obviously recorded a, a video, uh, a lot of other people that worked with him, especially in more recent years on The Mandalorian. A lot of those mm -hmm. stars have also released very nice messages and posts and so forth. And it's he just seems to be another one of those guys where nobody has anything negative to say about their experience with him, which is always a good sign because kind of in reverse where there's that much smoke, there's got to be some fire. I mean, if uh, that many people talk about how nice he was. And the thing is, you and I both have our own personal experiences with him. You know, what, what yours was yours at Gold's Gym? That it was. So I've told this story multiple times on the podcast, but I'm going to tell it again. Uh, and it's funny because, oh, you wouldn't have seen this on Facebook. So Sifu Don Nayam and I both met him in the same place. Oh, really? Yeah, we got to chatting yesterday on a post when I posted about him. Uh, all I mentioned is how when I met him, you know, he just the fact that he gave me a, a hardcore movie nerd that was practically shaking when I met him because he was one of the first <laughs> celebrities I ever met as an adult at a in a non like convention setting. You know, mm -hmm. uh, he gave me not only the time of day, but just was very polite, very nice uh, and appreciative of me being a fan. But that's also where Sifu Don and I have met him was in Gold's Gym, Venice. And really, as we know, Sifu Don, uh, you know, he's he's had his friends in the industry and you know, his non-friends in the industry, but he definitely had nice things to say about Carl Weathers. Uh, but for me, yeah. So summer of 2008, I was in LA on an internship. Uh, it was my first time, quote unquote, living in LA. I was here, for, oh, excuse me, I was there for about three months. And I was, at that time, I was very into bodybuilding still. So I'm like, oh, Gold Gym Venice was down the street from where I lived. I'm like, I was there every morning around 5 a.m., uh, and then in Asano Academy at night, it was a great, that was a great part of the summer. The internship was the internship from hell, but, and <laughs> I remember it was on a, a weekend, excuse me. So, cause I was there later in the day and I'm working out and I saw a lot of celebrities in there throughout the whole summer. There's some I'd see on the regular, uh, Bruce Buffer was always in there. I saw Tim Meadows a lot that summer who you and I also saw later in our favorite coffee shop, but you see Tim Meadows in there a lot. I saw Stone Cold Steve Austin in there a decent amount, some famous trainers and just straight bodybuilders. You know, I had some good experiences, some not so good experiences. Uh, no need to talk about those, but uh, and a, a few other of our martial arts favorites. I, I That was the summer I reconnected with Olivia Gruner for the first time since I was a kid. And uh, he was super, super nice. But Carl Weathers was like, for me, you know, we're talking Apollo Creed, the Rocky movie, some of the, the most important movies to me. And I saw him in there. And it was just like, and it's it, that was like my A-list celebrity. Like, I don't know, it could be like someone thinking or someone seeing Michael Jordan, right? I saw Carl Weathers. I was like, oh my God, that's Carl Weathers. And I, if I recall, I had just finished my workout. So I was able to just kind of wait there. And I, cause I didn't want to bother him. Like in the middle of doing something, I was waiting for a good opportunity of when he was done and like moving from one thing to the next. Next, And I remember he had just finished. I was like, all right, this is my chance. I'm going to go say hello to him. And obviously I grew up watching, you know, all 
all of his movies, but the the Rocky one through four were huge for me. I know those movies like the back of my hand. You know, he did those, which are the Apollo Creed character is iconic. It's classic. You know, he did Predator, which is uh, up there as one of the best sci-fi action movies ever made. He obviously his role in Happy Gilmore, which is a classic comedy and the role Chubbs, you know, helped make that movie. I know at that point he had also uh, done Arrested Development, which I know Mm -hmm. a lot of people liked him on there. Uh, he had so many iconic roles, uh, and I walked up to him. I said, oh, excuse me, Mr. Weathers. And he turned and said, yes, son? Or you know, something like that. I said, oh, I'm a huge fan. I loved you in Action Jackson. <laughs> and I just kind of paused. And, and that is legit, because I loved, ac- I yes. still obviously love Action Jackson. But I, I was like, I loved you in Action Jackson. And then I paused, and he, just, he paused for a second. He's like, oh. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wow, that was great. Oh, nice. And then like, you know, shook my hand and there's maybe a tiny bit of chit chat after that. I was like, oh, thank you so much. She's like, nice meeting you. Yeah. And then I just walked away and I remember walking away thinking, Action Jackson? I picked Action Jackson? I could have said Predator. I could have said Rocky 1, 2, 3, or 4. I could have said Happy Gilmer. I said Action Jackson. But in retrospect, I'm so glad I did because that was his movie, right? It was. Yes. Yes, it, 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 this, you know, he only had a few starring roles. Uh, I forget what the name of the other one was. And it's funny when I was Hurricane talking. Smith, Hurricane Smith. Thank you, because I actually own that on Prime. I bought it to watch it because it's one of the best trailers made for one of the not so best movies. It, that uh, trailer and the is funny, yeah, phenomenal. So when I when I brought it up yesterday to Jessica, we're talking about it and she recognizes him more recently from The Mandalorian, which he's mm-hmm. great on. But uh, she's like, oh, I remember him. He's in that one movie we watched. And I was like. Oh, was it? Because we were about to watch Action Jackson together last night. I was like, oh, Action Jackson? She's like, no. I'm like, oh, how about, uh, so the Rocky movie? She's like, no. I'm like, she's like, the one that's in Australia. And it's like, what the, and I'm like, oh, Hurricane, that's the one you remember is Hurricane Smith? So she remembered him from that movie. But uh, yeah, so it's just funny how that was the one I chose. And I thought to myself, oh, he probably thinks I'm a doofus, but who knows? Maybe, maybe he appreciated that. But honestly, it was just a very brief encounter in a gym. And a lot of times when celebrities are in gyms and I get it, they don't want to be bothered. They just want to do their thing. But for a, a young kid, practically, that was like shaking when meeting him. He was super nice to me. Very just chill, mellow, uh, appreciative of obviously me being a fan. And it was a great experience that's you know stuck with me for what would be almost like or over the last 15 years. So I'm very happy and honored I had the chance to meet him, even if it was just so briefly. Yeah, it, uh, it's uh, so I, I got to meet him at a double feature screening of Predator and uh, Action Jackson. And in between the two films, he was doing a signing. And I had my first time ever watching Action Jackson was at a uh, the New Beverly was doing a vanity film day with Action Jackson being the last film. And I'd seen the trailer for Hurricane Smith, seen the trailer for Action Jackson, very excited to see it, got in line and they had, you know, pins. So they had one pin that was Action Jackson. Action Jackson 88, like Jesse Jackson 88 for like <laughs> the election pins. And I'm like, oh, I need that one. It was the only one in the box. I grabbed it. I held on to it for a few years. They're doing the screening. Carl Weathers, I'm like, I love both these movies. I'm going. So um, in between the films, he does you know, just a little talk, but then he, they're going to sign some merchandise, right? So I, I got a t-shirt. I forget like Action Jackson t-shirt. He was going to sign one thing each. I'm in line. I'm one of the last people in, in line because I had the pin and I was like, maybe I'll give it to him. So get up in line, get the t-shirt signed. Then I like bust out the pin. I'm like, you know, in case you want it, you know, he's like, no, no, I'll sign it for you. So he just like took a sign and said, you keep this. And, but I, it's, uh, you know, it's, these are brief interactions, but we've had a lot of interactions you at the gym, you and your work, mine, my work, just wandering around Los Angeles. Very few people came across as genuinely interested to hear what uh, hear our experience about his films. And uh, the it was also one of my favorite screenings that I've gone to where the stars there talking about the films. Uh, Robert Davi, I went to see... Uh, uh, a screening with James Bond screening the film that he's in. And License he's a great to kill. License to kill. He did a fantastic uh chat. Uh, but I've been to a lot of screenings. You and I have done this. We've been to a lot of screenings. The talk, we appreciate when they come out to talk, but 
the detail that uh, Carl Weathers shared about, particularly about Action Jackson and about you know Predator to an extent, just it's illuminating, and you have it, you get a real insider's uh, uh, view to what the production experience was like. Yeah, and uh, I think you nailed it when you said genuinely interested because sometimes you'll meet celebrities and they're very nice, but it almost, and I hate to use the word fake nice, but you know, they know how to just, you know, talk and be just nice. Like, and you're not sure if it's 100% authentic and stuff, but he he seemed just very legitimately chill and mellow and kind. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, and I'd say very, very curious. And I think that's where the he, he becomes genuine. Uh, one one person asked him from the audience, "Have have you thought about like trying to get onto one of the Expendables?" And he, his answer was essentially, "I'm trying to explore my comedic side now, and now I, I might switch over to a dramatic side." His he was essentially saying that he, he what I got from that was he's an artist trying to explore all these different realms, and I, I think that was uh, that was. I forget what year it was, but clearly he had already had some traction with comedy and he was just wanted to continue to explore rather than staying in the safe zone and cashing in. Not that other people, not that it's wrong that people cash in on their persona, but rather than just cashing in on what he built in the 80s, he was now exploring new realms. And he he brought comedy even as early as Rocky, you know, as Apollo oh, yeah. Creed, like, you know, just his in his persona and his uh, demeanor. And he, he would be able to light up the screen. And this is a great example of him combining the two genres and being in an Absolutely. action comedy with some hardcore, brutal action and also some legitimate comedy moments. I mean, some of them kind of fall a little flat, uh, no fault of his or anybody else's, but then there's also well, some like- maybe the script writers. Yeah, yeah, there we go. But there's also some like legitimate laugh out loud moments and uh, and a lot of that comes from how great the performers are in this movie. Some of it is random. Some of it comes out of left field. Uh, but otherwise, this is a classic 80s action movie uh, in the same vein, incomparable, I'd say to something like a tango in cash, right? Yes. Uh, and it, it actually does kind of segue into a buddy cop type of film in a sense with Vanity and Carl Weathers having to team up being the, you know, the polar opposites. Obviously, there's also the romantic attraction there, which thank God we didn't get with Stallone and Kurt Russell and Tango and Cash. But, uh, you know, it's still kind of that buddy comedy element in there. And, and you know, it was funny about this film as we get into it. It, it there's, there's a little feel of a exploitative, you know, a little exploitive film. Uh, there's definitely it's definitely rated R. There's no way you walk away from this film not realizing it's rated R. But what Carl Weathers is able to do is he almost gives a rated G performance in a rated R film, and it makes I think in many ways it's it makes the film have a cult classic l- with actual longevity. Yes, that we that people may not have experienced when they first saw it or, you know, it it just it seems to have aged well, like fine wine, despite some awkwardness that is definitely dated as well as you get with any film from the 80s. And it should be noted, obviously, we are reviewing this film on the Martial Arts Mania podcast. Now, is it, quote unquote, a martial arts film? No. However, it has a plethora of fight scenes, multiple fight scenes, which we love. And it does have a couple actual martial arts sequences as well. And, and including the final fight is pretty much what would be boxing versus karate. So mm-hmm. there is martial arts in this. There is a lot of fight scenes in this. So that's why it totally qualifies for us talking about it on the podcast as well. But just to get into the the plot real quick, you know what? It, it's, it's kind of a detailed plot, but I'm just going to read what they have on Wikipedia real quick where uh, Weathers portrays the title role of Jericho Action Jackson, a Detroit police detective investigating a corrupt auto magnet played by Craig T. Nelson uh, with a musical score by Herbie Hancock. So once again, another trait of a, a great 80s, specifically kind of African-American action film. I mean, obviously we had Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, right? We've got Herbie Hancock doing the the soundtrack for this film. The opening sequence, uh, opening title sequence is the Pointer Sisters. Uh, uh, Pointer Sister song, which is fantastic. You've got some other great jams throughout, specifically sung by Vanity, also from The Last Dragon, a you know singer actress from the '80s who's playing a character who's unfortunately a little, 
you know, closer to the real life vanity from that period of time, uh, who eventually after a near death experience would turn her life around. And, uh, she is unfortunately no longer with us as well, but yeah. So, I mean, basic premise is Jericho action. Jackson is a sergeant. He's been demoted to sergeant from Lieutenant due to a previous, uh, experience he had with Craig T. Nelson's character, the, uh, auto magnet, uh, uh, Delaplane. Delaplane. There, thank you. I was trying to look up the whole name. Peter Anthony Delaplane, where uh, Jackson put his son in prison for pretty much being a sexual predator, but not before practically ripping his arm off, as they say. So now he had a spare. He had a spare. So now he's investigating the father who is uh, knocking off uh, union bosses, pretty much. And then we discover the reason being not because he wants to be the head of the union, but pretty much because he wants to control the union for the purpose of political power later on in the future. So, and uh, Delaplane has a team of, I guess you could call almost like ninja assassin bodyguards that uh, do his bidding and that uh, our man Action Jackson has to go up against uh, with a colorful cast of characters to back him up. Well put. Thank you, thank you. And as we mentioned, there's all sorts of classic uh, stars in this. We've got Carl Weathers, uh, Craig T. Nelson as the villain Delaplane, who most people would remember as Coach from the 90s sitcom Coach, who's probably everybody had at least one parent that watched that show. <laughs> I remember it being the one once it hit syndication on USA, I'd occasionally watch it. Coach was a fun one. I mean, I can't remember his his buddy's name, right? The the big like doofus guy, like uh, Dauber. Maybe. Oh, kind of always talk like this, right? Yeah, he's hey, one Coach. of the voices. He's yeah. one of the voices on uh, SpongeBob. Oh, so there you go. There you yeah. go. I didn't even know that. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Craig T. Nelson is Delaplane. Vanity, obviously, as Sydney Ash, who's Delaplane's mistress and a nightclub singer that's hooked on heroin, who eventually has to team up with uh, Jackson after Delaplane decides they both must die. Uh, we've got Sharon Stone in there in one of her first roles as Delaplane's uh, new bride. We've got Bill Duke as the police captain. Mm. Robert Davi, who you mentioned earlier as a friend of uh, Jackson's. Uh, we've got, let's see here. Who else? Oh, <laughs> I love Chino Fats Williams as yes. Kid Sable, who most people, including myself, would probably remember best as the homeless guy at the beginning of Roadhouse. What do I look like, valet? He's like, keep it. It's yours. But he has a much more extended role, uh, in this film as a former championship boxer. Uh, and if you enjoy dialogue that's delivered in the voice I just did, you'll, you'll enjoy his character. Uh, and then, yeah, we've got some other familiar 80s faces like Ed O'Ross mm-hmm. has a part at the very beginning who people would remember from Red Heat and Dick Tracy. You've got some classic martial arts uh, stuntmen and villains in there. You've got the great Ah Leong. Uh, you've mm-hmm. got James Liu. You've also got some other 80s uh, hench or big tough guys like Sonny Landham in there. And wow. funny enough, and, I almost. And go ahead. I was going to say, it's funny because Sonny Landham's part's very short in there, but you almost feel like maybe they were just like, hey, guess what? We just found Sunday Landham up in a hotel room high <laughs> on heroin. Should we just throw him in the movie? Because it really doesn't look like he's acting. It looks like he's just strung out of his uh, mind. So, <laughs> I, I mean, we know the rumors of Sunday Landham on, on the set of Predator. He had bodyguards around him not to protect him, but to protect the rest of the crew. Right. And the cast. I am watching this fight sequence between Landham. There's a fight sequence middle of, almost midway of the film between Landham and Carl Weathers. And... I'm wondering how dangerous is this? And I hope they gave him props because the knife that he pulls out or in the needle that he has, I mean, it, I would be scared if I have to be in a fight scene with him. And I'll be honest, I'm not usually a scared person. I would be scared doing a fight scene with him, even if I were as big as Carl Weathers. Well, I usually am a scared person and I would have probably pooped my pants because he just looks crazy and insane. As I said, it doesn't look like he's acting. It looks like they maybe had him kind of Hannibal Lecter like in the straitjack and they just let him loose. And they're like, all right, Carl Weathers, you're a big guy. You're yoked. Uh, good luck because <laughs> it's, he he's there, just so. When, yeah. Yeah. There's a scene where, I mean, he's uh, he basically has the there's a syringe of heroin he has stuck it back into sunny landham and landham just does his crazy laugh and he like continues to push the hopefully prop knife towards <laughs> towards carl weathers and carl weathers looks like he is literally doing everything he can to it the, basically the fight scene comes across as extremely authentic while choreographed yes i uh 100 agree and, and- so like right out the gate, we kind of have we have like some brutal 
well, as we said, there's there's got to be at least bare minimum five or six fight scenes in this movie. I was like, I was actually going to push it up to eight if we include yeah, a couple think, of short ones. Yeah, exactly. So, and we're talking straight up fist to fist. Hence, why it, it's well suited for our uh, podcast discussion. But uh, the opening sequence has one of the uh, union bosses being assassinated by the team of ninja assassins that's edo ross a classic 80s actor that most people would recognize uh and that whole sequence is just an introduction to how hardcore the action is because i texted gavin last night i'm like damn this opening sequence is good it's the the kind of action that's shot in this it's, it's obviously not hong kong style this is 80s american action before we had the true like wave of you know the influx of hong kong action from the mid 90s where big hollywood production started to adapt that style you know obviously we had our crossovers in the 80s the seasonal film ones no retreat no surrender etc but uh this one adopts almost a, a style of and it's obvious that our director is a former stunt coordinator he knows how to shoot fights and stunts and it's there some good fast cuts and edits in the best kind of way it's got what i call like the indiana jones style sound effects the big hard-hitting punching sound effects the so, sound mixing is yes, phenomenal sound sounds can help accentuate fights that maybe aren't necessarily as intricately choreographed and they don't have to be because here they're shot in the kind of way that are big and hard-hitting it's not like the, the framing of maybe even 70s american martial arts with chuck norris where Yes, we had legitimate martial arts stars, but they were handling all the action and they didn't necessarily know how to shoot it right. We had the, you know, the wider frame shots where it's kind of just letting them do the action, but they didn't necessarily know what was best for the camera at this point. Here we have, even if it's just very basic, like one, two punches, they're shot, cut and sound edited just perfect. So it adds this true sense of impact, some great stunt work, people flying through glass and doors uh, in the best kind of way to just really add to the intensity of the fight sequences. So this opening assassination scene really displays that it displays like some obviously some gunplay, uh, you know, they, they're shooting, they're punching, they're kicking, they throw the, the poor psychiatrist from Lethal Weapon gets uh, just punched in the head like hardcore. I think they say it kills her. <laughs> uh, but and yeah, so just the opening sequence alone, we're like, okay, we're in for some good fight scenes in it, this and the, the film. Am I mistaken? But uh, the director Baxley, he was on the second unit of Predator. Yeah, that from what I read, yeah, he was. Yeah, uh, so he, so I mean, this guy comes from the pedigree of knowing how to do action. And one of the other films he did was Dark Angel slash I Come in Peace. Oh yeah, and, and Stone Cold and with, Stone uh, Cold. The action yeah. sequences. This guy had had the had had the ability to construct construct action sequences that have tension building and big releases whether it's glass breaking even like the the butter the butterfly knives and explosions galore throughout this film and throughout this guy's career has been some of the best on screen. And he started off on TV, which gave him plenty of opportunities because he was the stunt coordinator and second unit director of the Dukes of Hazard and the A-Team. So with okay. the A-Team especially, you get to really hone your craft when it comes to fight scenes and stunts. And, I, and probably a lot of like, wow, imagine if I had a film budget and time with some of this. Uh, but he was also the stunt coordinator on The Warriors. Uh, you know, the Walter Hill film, one of our, you know, and also the long riders, another Walter Hill film. And we love Walter Hill and Walter Hill was known, or excuse me, in my opinion, one of the first guys to really start shooting fight scenes, uh, so in a, in a, uh, in a very, in a good cinematic way that wasn't Hong Kong influence. And that's probably where Baxley learned how to shoot well, fight scenes himself, maybe was from Walter Hill directly. Well, and if you if you follow that lineage, I mean, Walter Hill worked on The Getaway with Sam Peckinpah. Oh, so there, there you go. There's there is this there is this lineage of knowing how to time out, and not time out as in calling time in the game, but to 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 pace out action sequences in such in such a way that connects with the audience. You feel you feel every hit. Mm -hmm. It's so good and. Uh, so, yeah, we have some more hard hitting, hard hitting, realistic fight uh, scenes and action sequences. We also have some cheesy, hokey ones like we have Action Jackson doing a gymnastics flip over a taxi that's trying to hit him because, yes, he is a track and field star. Uh, man, we have some great one liners thrown throughout uh, classic up there with some of the best Schwarzenegger or Stallone ones, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but 
Carl Weathers himself as a, a physical performer in terms of the action and fight sequences. Now we've actually we so we've done our list before of our top ten kickers, uh, you know, of Hong Kong cinema and so forth, and we've t- uh, talked about doing a list of our top ten punchers, and or you know top five. We've kind of switched over to more doing listicles of top five, but Carl Weathers would definitely be on mine without a doubt. And the thing was as some people may or may not know, he started off as a professional athlete. He was a professional football player. He played for the Raiders. Raiders! Uh, And so he had that professional athletic background. I mean, you look at the first Rocky film, and at that time, 1976, right, his physique was already above and beyond other people in Hollywood, right? Like bodybuilding was just hitting the mainstream then with pumping iron and so forth. Arnold wasn't a star yet. Stallone's physical appearance in the first Rocky is much more that of just kind of a semi-athletic brute, right? And for the first two Rocky films, Carl Weathers' physique blew Stallone's out of the water. It wasn't until the third that I would say they were like on par, completely different styles of physique. But, you know, Carl Weathers had this more of a, whereas Stallone eventually developed a sinewy, lean bodybuilder-esque physique. Carl Weathers had more like a, in, in terms of bodybuilding, more like a Frank Zane lean aesthetic look. Carl Weathers had more of a bigger athletic bodybuilder's physique, kind of like almost an NFL player now. Uh, and, and, you know, his physique is on display in this film and, uh, it is very impressive, you know, uh, his symmetry, everything else. Uh, and so, yeah, he had the physicality, but in terms of the Rocky movies, like right out the first one, you would have thought he was a professional boxer. And a lot of that probably, who knows, maybe he did learn boxing as a kid or something, but a lot of that probably just has to do with the fact that he's a professional athlete and can transition those athletic abilities into other sports. But obviously having done the first four Rocky movies already, he had plenty experience of, you know, fighting and boxing on screen. And just the thing is, I think anybody most people could easily say Stallone never displayed great boxing technique in any of the Rocky films. I mean, but that was kind of his character too, right? But Carl Weathers did, and he has maybe one of the best jabs ever on screen. Uh, Just the way he snaps it out there, the pa, 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 like you'd believe he was a real boxer. And in this film, we get a great display of that. He's not trying to do uh, a lot of kicks or fancy movement. He's just doing a lot of jabs crosses, uppercuts, hooks, uh, even in the finale when he faces off against Craig T. Nelson, where, uh, spoiler alert, his character's like a karate master, you know, he eventually, he's, even when he's blocking, it's much more like he's like a boxer sticking out his hands Mm -hmm. to check shots and it just works perfectly. It's like, I don't need to see him do anything else besides punch. And no, I'm so glad you, you brought up the blocks because it's, it's what, what is so good about the choreography in this film and what we've talked about before in other films where the choreography is good but it doesn't fit the the actor and this one it did because it they they did not like try to transition him into some, any other type of fight form he the blocks i just love it and like where he's where he's just move his movement in that bedroom the fight sequence that takes place inside the house is just so tight and so well done yeah. and again it it it's choreographed to to not put our star in a position that he would not excel. And it just, and instead he, he's just so, so well packaged and the choreography is so well done. And you know, it's funny now that you mentioned, uh, so that final slow motion finale of that is so Sam Peckinpah-esque, right? So maybe it is like this little, like passed down Sam Peckinpah to Walter Hill, Walter Hill to Baxley, mm-hmm. uh, into this film. But yeah, so the the rest of the cast, Craig T. Nelson as Del Plain is so good. He is a sociopath to the max. Like he's just so good, so good as being this creepy. And the thing is, most people remember him as Coach, this totally lovable family man type character, yeah. right? Uh, the leader of a college football team, uh, a, a, a great. He and what he and. When he was in film before this, he was the father in Poltergeist. He was, yeah. he's always been the good guy. This, when he turned the switch over to the the dark side to play this character, wow. It and really, obviously he has a great physicality too. I mean, it's, they do a really good job of doubling him and or hiding the double. Uh, I honestly don't even know how many of the kicks he does if he does some any of, those, of them. Some of those kicks are fantastic. Right. I, I was trying to, freeze frame and look who the 
his stunt double was. I couldn't tell. Yeah, they do. They do a good job of hiding it. In fact, sometimes it's it's actually a little. That's where maybe some of the edits and cuts are. It's obvious that's what they're doing, but for the sake of, of making the fight scene flow. But for example, we're introduced about you know in the first act that he is a karate master because he has a training sequence with the great James Liu, uh, where he gets the best of James Liu, and then even at the end of their session decides to just like break his arm because he's Delaplane and he's psychotic. So it's a, you know, a foreshadowing to our finale that even though Jackson's this giant physical specimen that Delaplane is going to perhaps give him trouble with his lethal karate moves. Well, you know, what's, uh, you know, what's really interesting about this film is actually the cinematography because, uh, obviously action Jackson lead character, very strong, uh, great charisma on camera but there are a few tricks that they do with the camera work one is when he's talking to his boss bill duke who's a very tall man bill duke in the beginning is city is at the start of the start of their conversation is sitting on his desk but at one point he has to stand up to show his physical dominance as as the as the captain and what i noticed with the camera work is it becomes a little uh point of view so when it's shooting bill duke it's from under his chin a little bit so you we as an audience are looking up at bill duke and then when it shoots carl weathers at the point where bill duke is standing there's actually some headroom some space above carl weathers so we actually are looking down on carl weathers and they do this in one other two other sequences early on or each time where carl weathers and Craig T. Nelson is sharing the screen. When when one has the power over the other, mm-hmm. the camera work is shifting their heights. Yeah, it's uh, a brilliant it's analysis. It's so fantastic. I it's mean, so... And that's, yeah, that's shifting power dynamics through cinematography, right? Which is classic. It, the 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 obviously looking up, the camera looking up creates power mm-hmm. and control. The camera down does the opposite, right? And, 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 and there's no way anybody watching this film would think that... Eh, anybody could compete with Carl Weathers. So these like slight, subtle movements with the camera and staging really helps drive home that sense of maybe Craig T. Nelson could do something against Carl Weathers or against uh, Action Jackson in that final sequence when they have that head-to-head. Because when he comes into the restaurant, shows in the picture, it's shooting down on Craig T. Nelson. But when Craig T. Nelson stands up, all of a sudden the camera work shifts a little bit. We see the headroom above Carl Weathers. So all of a sudden we're thinking, oh, it's a... Craig T. Nelson's character, Delaplane, has physical dominance potential, physical dominant potential over Action Jackson. Because they have all these subtleties throughout a very non subtle film. Yeah, they have these back and forth little uh, battles of uh, quips, if you will, right? And so you may think <laughs> one's getting the upper hand, then the other one suddenly does. And yeah, it's uh, it just adds to the power dynamic and power shifts between the two of them, especially because. Obviously, we're rooting for our protagonist, but they make Delaplane this truly lethal antagonist that causes some major issues. And Carl Weathers does a great job of actually not always displaying uh, an unrealistic sense of optimism or, uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Uh, confidence, right? He actually has moments of doubt and stuff you can tell. It's like, uh, throughout the film because he's getting screwed over so much, right? And uh, Delplane has so much power to frame mm-hmm. him and do whatever he wants. So, you know, he has to be uh, very careful about every movement he makes. So this film, Rotten Tomatoes, 13% is what I think I saw at some point or in some review. Uh, if we look it up now, it might not be there. Uh, Siskel or Ebert gave it... Uh, a not so nice review, but for me, this is on one of my comfort uh, film lists. Oh yeah, for sure. We have it on there. In fact, it was like the biggest image for our last Kung Fu comfort films list. I put it right up there. Cause I'm like, yeah, great movie. Great choice. And, and I think that maybe in the time of everybody trying to release these big action films, it did it, did it miss a mark? Was it, was it not, did it not catch? I don't know what was going on around that time specifically, but I do know that over time, this is one of the more rewatchable films from that era. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is because of the sound mixing team for sure. The cinematography, the Detroit influenced infused soundtrack and Carl Weathers 
as well as the just the very rich cast. And you mentioned so many of them. One and of there's, my... so, there's more that we didn't even mention that I you know. would recognize. Well, well, like Branscom Richmond. You named it, yeah. Has one of his best roles, I think. Right. Well, I'm like, what's his accent supposed to be? Is he supposed to be like Hispanic? Is that what they have? But then he drops it after. Yeah. It's like they give him this super like, hey, man, you know what you're talking about, man. It's almost like a a Cuban accent. And I'm like, what's he supposed to be? (laughs) And, you know, I, I, you know, this is Black History Month. So obviously this is one of the reasons this, this, this film or the other films we were going to discuss was on our radar. What I really appreciate about this film, unlike so many other films from that era, is a lot of the stereotypes are thrown out of the window. Mm-hmm. They don't exist. Uh, the language and the grammar that is that is used throughout the film by so many characters is honestly thesaurus worthy because this is a highly like even when they talk about uh jericho jackson's character you know uh he has a law degree you know, from harvard there, from harvard there's a scene where there's just a passing scene where he's walking with a with the judge and they're talking about legal uh like le- how would you have gone with that case you know shortly you you do before he runs yeah, into Delaplane. They're just talking legal policy and ethics almost. Yeah. So it this movie, what I think is so special about this film or what they attempted to do with this film is not only just deliver us a kitchen, every, we're throwing in everything with the kitchen sink action film. We're also uh, squashing stereotypes or not. Let me just say, let me rephrase. We're not allowing stereotypes to seep into this film, period. Because there were no stereotypes in this film, it is a colorful, colorful film. Even 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 the characters in the Brascom Richmond scene are so varied mm-hmm. uh, in the in the way they speak. You know, there's uh, 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 Miguel Nunez Jr. who's Joanna Man, Joanna Man, who's delivering lines, and he's like, I don't understand him, and he's like, he doesn't understand. So. Brascom Richmond comes over, and first he's talking as though he has an accent, and I at that's when it piqued my interest i'm like wait a minute are they going with the with the stereotype and then he dropped the accent he's like follow the ball where is papa doc and it's just like i don't know i I really appreciate that this film was trying to by comparison of other films out there at this time was not having anything to do with stereotypes i mean and it's funny you mentioned that because that's also we have bill duke as the police captain right so we have an african-american police captain uh a role he would later play once again in films like Exit Wounds, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you're 100% correct. It could have easily fallen. And I think there are still some that are, you know, prevalent in there. I mean, it's it's bound to happen. It still happens nowadays. But you're right. We it's Although there are some maybe exploitive elements in there, it's not falling in line with say like a lot of because even within black exploitation films, you know, some of the counter arguments would be that they still reinforce stereotypes of the African American mm-hmm. community, uh, that lots of groups were trying to de-establish uh, a lot of the times. I mean, you got films like Superfly, right? What is yep. who is our protagonist? He's a pimp. And so it's the whole play, oh, you're reinforcing stereotypes about African American males and what role they can have in society and stuff and blah, blah, blah. But then the counter argument be, oh, but it's a film starring an African American as our hero. He is the protagonist. But uh in this film, we have, you know, he could have just been Action Jackson, you know, a meathead, but no, he's highly intelligent. He is, although accused of being uh, overzealous and aggressive, you know, he is well thought out. He is well-spoken. He is, in my opinion, calm, cool, and collected, right? He is suave as can be. And I, it's unfortunate we didn't get more films from this series. And as we were, you know, talking about before, uh, could have, and this has happened multiple times. It happened to our own, uh, sensei actually, I believe with his three picture deal, he got, uh, with Scott Free Productions, you know, sometimes and it, it, classically, it's what happened with Jeff Speakman after The Perfect Weapon. And mm-hmm. uh, sometimes your your contract or whether it's yours or the film itself, that company gets bought out by another company uh, and they become a subsidiary of another company. And then things just fall to the wayside and then unfortunately never get made. But uh, it's really unfortunate that we did not get a another Action Jackson film or a trilogy because it would have been really great to see where they could have taken this character. I agree. Yeah. So, uh, 
any final closing thoughts on Action Jackson? Uh, it's funny because, like I said before, there are rated R elements. Oh, this yeah. is a rated R film. Violence, is, violence, nudity, nudity. Yeah, but it's also artistically shot, well done uh, sound. And like I said, Carl Weathers just elevates his presence elevates us out of the gutter into into a very fun zone and we should also say that both sharon stone and vanity are fantastic as well sharon stone does a really good job of the naive young uh completely oblivious wife and vanity does a very good job of once again so counter argument could be oh she's reinforcing maybe stereotypes of uh drug use uh within the african-american community or this or that but she does a great job of kind of, I guess you could say, almost authentically portraying this character as being troubled, as being probably the mm-hmm. abused mistress of Delaplane and, and how she manages to overcome that. And the way she portrays the character is not some stereotypical, uh, you know, the, junky the, role. She she brings a sense of authenticity and realism to the character. And, and, and brokenness. I mean, that, that's yes. a great point that you brought up. Like, there's there's a scene where she's forgotten her makeup bag, but we we understand. And her makeup bag is her syringe and her drugs. And so she's kind of shaking. I, I just look awful. And he's like, no, you're beautiful. And the way she reacts, you realize, oh, wow, she's actually so broken that even just like that, I know it's supposed to be some romance between them or the spark, the beginning of the spark. But at the same time, you see how needy she is for any kind of validation. It's such a, it like, honestly, I think that we missed out on how great, uh, how great vanity could have been. But it also speaks to, uh, the, the great moralistic care, uh, the moral characteristics or, uh, the great morals that action Jackson has, because she straight up is like telling him, uh, in a much more vulgar way, you know, do you want to have sex with me or not? And he refuses, first of all, knowing that she's high and mm-hmm. he just kind of has uh, that's just not in his character. Right. He you know, eventually falls for her. But he also even at her lowest still has what would be a level of respect for her as a human being. Right. This is and this is a kind of. You know, let's look at the James Bond roles like, you know, he every opportunity he had, he went to, <laughs> to try to, you know, sleep with uh, uh, a, a woman, whether it was for the right reasons or not. And so that's kind of this character of Action Jackson actually is a step above certain other 80s uh, or 70s Absolutely. action star characters in the sense of he's not going to use her uh uh, or sexually exploit her, you know, he actually respects her as and, and a he, woman, and he, as a human being. And he actually, through his example, pulls her out of right. the despair and into uh, sobriety. I mean, like, because he, he'll straight up say to her, like, you know, you're a junkie. Like, uh, don't you want to do better than that? But it's not like he dismisses her. He he helps her. As you said, he pulls her out yeah. of it. So uh, I really like their little kind of uh, mini story arc, their little three act story within the actual narrative of the film so yeah she does great in that but uh anyways wrapping up it's a fantastic movie it's got a lot of great action in it, a lot of great fight scenes in it uh as we said really well shot in carl weathers one of the best jabs and one of the best punchers in uh cinematic history in terms of language corner did you bring anything today i was going to bring uh, i was going to bring the word sadness, because oh. sometimes life can be sad. And, you know, this is a lot of fun, a uh, great fun film. But, you know, I'm a little sad that uh, more than a little sad that Carl Weathers has, uh, has passed on. Same here. So I don't know if you uh, the Japanese word is sabishi. Sabishi. Sabishi just means sad. Sabishi. 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 Hmm. Sabishi. Sabishi. Yeah. I mean, there's a few different ways to say it uh, in Chinese, depending on the context, but you can just say like, yeah. Bushing. Bushing. Yeah. Hmm. Nice. It is definitely sad. He will be missed. Uh, he had segued into his later career into a overall performer. As we said, he was great on The Mandalorian. I'm not sure if you've watched that, but uh, he has. he's just always so likable. And man, what a voice. Wait, you know what I might do this weekend or uh-huh. sometime this week? I might make a stew. 
Ah, there we go. There's uh, your Arrested Development re- uh, reference. Yes, sir. All righty. I love it. Okay. Uh, anyways, it's been fun. So we, we've pretty much switched to a bi-weekly format now. This time we will. It looks like actually drop uh, back-to-back episodes. This one will be dropping on this Monday, uh, what would be February 5th. And then mm-hmm. we'll have one the following Monday to kind of coincide with the Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do a final one for Black History Month, which uh, was the film we were originally going to record about. And we still will, which will be a lot of fun. Sounds but great. Anyway, glad we were able to do this. Uh, rest in peace, Mr. Carl Weathers. And I will catch you next week. Sounds good, my man. Peace, baby. <laughs>